2 Timothy, chapter 1. Let me, uh, because I just began this series last week, uh, let me go ahead and just quickly review for everybody, uh, and then we'll dive into it tonight. We've only got three more Wednesdays before we take a break till the new year, so let's finish strong. In fact, if I could get this many people out every week, I'd have pie every week here. You know? Worth it for me, you know. So, the book of 2 Timothy is all about perseverance and endurance. This young man, this young pastor, is struggling. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this letter. And it's his last letter that he will ever write. He knows that his time on earth is short. In fact, he says in chapter 4... The time of my departure is at hand. He knows he doesn't have long before Nero uh, basically executes him because of his stand for Jesus Christ. So Paul's going to give up his life for Jesus Christ here real soon. So there's a lot of emotion in this letter because Paul knows it's the last letter that he will probably ever write. And uh, he writes it to this young man, Timothy, who again is struggling to maybe hang in there. He's thinking about giving up, throwing in the towel and quitting. And so this letter is all about the importance of perseverance and endurance. So last week I said this, the key verse of this book is 2 Timothy 3.14. You, however, must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about. Keyword, continue, remain, stay, don't quit. And the key word, if you will, is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, be strong. Now, it's two words in the English, but it's only one in the Greek. Be strong. And obviously, we have to be strong people if we're going to persevere and endure. Because there's always going to be opposition and resistance and trials and tribulation and this and that that we're going to have to deal with. And, and many, many Christians start off well, but not near as many finish well. And we have to make sure that we are good finishers, if you will. And that's what this book is going to teach us and remind us about, the importance of finishing things well, if, if you will. So last week, we started in chapter 1, and we saw there in verse 8 of chapter 1 that Paul's main message to Timothy was, Timothy, you've got to be willing to do your part and accept your share of suffering for the gospel. And he repeats the same phrase in chapter 2, verse 3. Take your share of suffering. These are verses that I quoted on Sunday. Timothy, you've got to be willing to pay a price just like the rest of us have had to pay a price. Just like I am in prison getting ready to pay the ultimate price for being a Christian. And that's giving up my very life on earth for the gospel. Timothy, you've got to be willing to do it too. No matter what comes against you, you've got to be willing to hang in there and be faithful. So last week we shared that there were many things that Paul shared with Timothy to encourage him to hang in there and be willing to do his part and accept his share of suffering. We started with Paul himself, where he talks about, you are my dear child, 
I am your mentor, I discipled you, hang in there for my sake. Then in verse 2, we saw the provision of God. Grace, mercy, and peace is going to flow from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Then in verse 3, he's reminded that Paul and others are praying for him. In verse 5, he's reminded about the investment in the spiritual foundation that his grandmother and mother made in his life. Then in verse 6, he reminds him of God's gift that has been placed within him. This fire for God that he needs to rekindle. Then he talks to him in verse 7 about the spirit of God within him. And then finally in verse 8, the power of God which will enable him to accept his share of suffering. So in all those things that we talked about last week, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, remind yourself of these things. These will inspire and motivate you to continue to hang in there, persevere, and endure in your life. Now we come to verse 9 tonight. And here's where I'd like to begin tonight. If you could sit down with a Christian who's lived their life, who is at the end of their life, and lived it someone like a Paul, someone that you know, there, there is no doubt this person was dedicated. They were consecrated. They were devoted to Christ and to his cause. And yet, obviously, you also know that there were many times in their life where they suffered and they went through tremendous trials and maybe even persecution and all of that for the cause of Christ. And if, if you could sit across from them as they're about ready to die, that, that they could tell you and impart to, to you or to I exactly what Paul is doing to Timothy here, to me, that would be so inspiring. Because that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's at the end of his life and he knows it. He has went through tremendous suffering to be a Christian and to share the gospel with people. And yet, it's like he's looking straight into the eyes of Timothy and he's saying this to Timothy. Timothy, it was all worth it. I wouldn't take back anything. I have no regrets, Timothy, for laying everything of my life on the line for Jesus Christ. None! That's what I want to tell you, Timothy. Everything that I lived for after Christ came into my life, everything that I went through, all the trials and suffering, the stonings, the shipwreck, the, 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 the people who deserted me, you know, all of these things, he, he would say, it was all worth it. And that's what we have here tonight in this passage we're going to look at. It's basically Paul saying, everything that you and I live for, Timothy, is worth it. And everything we will go through to be a Christian and to try to bring others into the kingdom and to try to build up our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, it is all worth it. Absolutely no regrets. How does he start this out? Well, he starts it out in verse 9. Because remember, in verse 8, he ends with the word gospel. And the word gospel, obviously, is a big word in the New Testament. But it means more than just the death, burial, resurrection, and post-resurrection appearances of Christ that we see in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel also stands, basically, for all of God's revelation in His Word. It's all good news, if you will, from God to us. But, as he points out here, the gospel that he's lived for and the gospel that he's getting ready to die for also centers around a person. 
that that the message, if you will, of the word centers around a person, which is why he begins verse 9 with these words. He is the one who saved us and called us with the holy calling. He's also going to tell him in verse 10, he's the one that broke the power of death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Then in verse 12, he is able to protect what has been entrusted to me until that day. Let's look at each of these tonight because these are, again, reasons why as Paul is in a sense is sitting across from Timothy saying, Timothy, it was all worth it. And he starts with God. He's going to also talk about himself. He's sort of expanding a little bit on what we talked about last week where he mentioned himself and how dear Timothy was to him to try to get him to to hang in there. But now he's in a sense going to expand his testimony and share some really personal things with Timothy to try again to get him to persevere and endure. But he starts with God. And he starts with reminding Timothy again about what we are engaged in is all worth it because the gospel that you and I live for, the gospel that you and I believe, the gospel that you and I share with one another and that we share with those that don't know God, it's a glorious gospel. It is a great salvation, as the writer of Hebrews says. And he starts by reminding us that he, God, is the one who saved us. He saved us. He reached out to us. We could never reach out to Him. He saved. He delivered us. He rescued us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. And there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. He saved us. We could never save ourselves. We could never have our sins wiped out through anything that we have done. As he says here in verse 9, not based on our works, but on His purpose and grace, He saved us. And folks, if Paul would have just stopped there and said, folks, what we are dealing with here, what God has done for us and the fact that He saved us, Again, that the writer of Hebrews says is such a great salvation. If Paul would have stopped there, that would have been enough. That would have been enough to live for God, to give up our very lives for God, to go through whatever life is going to bring, to go through whatever opposition and resistance we bring. The fact that you and I have been saved and that we now have been entrusted with the gospel message and it is the only answer for man's salvation. It's the only way that men and women can be saved, can be delivered, can be rescued. He saved us. Let's never forget He saved us. He rescued us and delivered us when nothing or no one else could. But it wasn't just about God wanting to have a relationship with us by saving us and removing that barrier between us and Him. Notice Paul goes on to say, and He called us with a holy calling. In other words, for God, it was always not just about a relationship, It was about fellowship. It was about bringing us close to Him. It was about, in a sense, wrapping us up in His arms and calling us with a holy calling. Because what that simply means is God always intended for us to be in intimate fellowship and communion with Him. He called us to Himself. We are His special people. 
a people of His own. That's what a holy calling means. That in a sense, we are God's special possessions. We are His. Think of that when you hear this verse from 1 Peter. One of my favorite verses out of the New Testament where Peter writes, You and I are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own, so that you and I may proclaim the virtues of the One who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9. He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light so that we could be His own special people and live not only in relationship with Him, but live in fellowship with Him. That's what God has done. And if that would have been all, Paul said, everything I went through for that was worth it. Everything I did to bring that message to others was worth it. He saved us and He called us with a holy calling. Let's move on though. Look at verse 9. Again, not based on our works, but on His own purpose and grace. Notice that when God saved us and called us, He had a purpose in mind. Not only in our relationship with Him, but in our fellowship with Him if you will, in our life with Him. He has a purpose. And notice this amazing phrase in 2 Timothy 1.9. Granted to us in Christ Jesus, and please lock these next three words in your mind, before time began. Think about that. In eternity past, when there was nothing when it was only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, God was able to look down the quarters of time and see us. And know also that when He chose to create man and bring mankind into the world, He knew even at that point, before He ever did it, what was going to happen. He knew the pain and, and all of that that mankind was going to go through. And that He as God was going to have to deal with and go through. In other words, Jesus knew before the world was ever created that at some point in history, in God's perfect time, God was going to have to send forth His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save us because we were going to fall. And the only one that could save us was God before time began. Now, now think about that. Again, lock that in. Here's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit living in eternity past, and they're perfectly fine. Perfectly content, perfectly fulfilled within themselves, and they would have never had to create anything. And they could have existed in perfect bliss for all of eternity, just the three of them. But when God chose to bring us and this universe into existence, He knew exactly all that that was going to entail even before He did it, and He still did it. Now, you and I would be like, if I knew that there was that much to deal with and that much pain to go through before, I, if God would let me know ahead of time, nah. And here's God who does perfectly know everything that He's going to have. I mean, you think about, and I'm just going to use this word, it's a terrible, maybe, word. How easy it would have been for God just to never create anything. 
other than just, again, to enjoy himself. And yet he did. And that's why Paul is just like, how can we not endure and persevere ourselves when we think that life is hard and it it might be really hard? But Paul says, think about what God went through to even bring us to a place where we can have a relationship and fellowship with Him. And he never said, the pain's too great. The sacrifice is too much. I'm not going to do it. Because he knew ahead of time exactly, exactly what it was going to mean. Before time began. And so I don't think... Because God has that perfect knowledge of being able to look into time. I don't think it's an exaggeration at all to take what Paul's here saying and to really translate it down to a very personal level and say this. That God, and you put yourself in there like I'm going to, that God, before He ever created anything, looked ahead in time and saw Jeff Royce and said, Jeff, Though you're going to cause me pain, and though you're going to fail me, and all of that, I'm still going to save you, and I'm still going to call you. And I'm going to be there with you every step of the way, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Wow. Before time even began. In the timelessness of eternity past. God did that and made that decision to bring us all into this world and then to save us and to do whatever it would take on his part to bring us into a relationship and fellowship. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, this is so wonderful. People need to hear this. They need to know this. And we, as those who do know him, we need to be reminded of this. Thank God. He saved us and called us with a holy calling. But then he says this. Now he made this all visible through the appearing, verse 10, of our Savior Christ Jesus. And through this also, he has broken the power of death. Literally, he has rendered death of no effect in our life. He's, in a sense, pulled the plug on death. He took on and shared humanity so that he could... Destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. And set those free who through their entire lifetime suffered from fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. See, when you and I come into a relationship with God and fellowship with God, death has no power over us anymore. We don't have to fear that because for us, we understand Death is simply entrance into the presence of God. The one who loves me more than anyone else. I don't fear death. In in fact, we don't really even die because death sort of is like non-existent and there is no non-existence. We just simply move our existence from here to there. He broke the power of death. And then he says, oh, and he brought to light life. Talk about light. We talked about that Sunday. He he lit up what life was all about through him and his message. 
And again, this isn't physical life, our heart beating kind of life. This is the highest quality of life that a man or a woman can experience on planet Earth before we get to glory. It is that abundant life that Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And he put his light bulb, if you will, his flashlight on what kind of life that is and revealed it to us through the gospel. And that's why Paul says it's worth us going through whatever we have to go through to understand what that life is and to share that life with others because there is no better life. There, there is no greater experience of life than the, what God offers us. What He offers us is better than anything or anyone else can offer us and what we could ever come up with ourselves. And then He also brought to light immortality by reminding us that we are immortal. You and I will never die. We will never cease to exist. We will always be. We had a beginning at our birth, but we will never have an ending. Never ending. And Paul says then, again, thinking about that, does that not make what we do here and what we live for and why we live the way we live all the more worth it? And again, doesn't this tie into the message from Ephesians a couple weeks ago on our inheritance? When eternity is placed out there and the fact that we will never cease to exist, we will always be, there is no end for us. That makes even this life that much more precious of what we do with it while we're here. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, lay it all on the line, Timothy. Because 10 million years from now, 20 million years from now, beyond our ability as human beings to comprehend, he's telling Timothy, it will be worth it all. No regrets. And then he says this in verse 12. He is able. And can we just stop there? You know, a, a great encouraging uh, study sometime would be to just look up those words and just study the different times in the New Testament. The Bible reminds us God is able. We're not able, but God is able. And then that means that our ability is through Him working through us. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he's able. He's able to do far above and beyond all that we could ask or think. We talked about that in Ephesians several weeks ago. He's able. That's why it's never about our ability, but our availability. All we have to do is make ourselves available to the God who is able. And Paul says... Timothy, here's why you and I need to hang in there and persevere and endure. Because he's able to protect what has been entrusted to me until that day. And Paul's saying a couple different things here. He's saying, look, first of all, God has entrusted us with certain precious things in our life while we're here on earth. But God didn't entrust those things to us and then go, okay, you're on your own. You, you manage it without me. No, what Paul's saying here is, God helps me and supports me and enables me to look after and care for the things that He's entrusted to me so that I'm never having to manage and being a steward of all these precious things that God has entrusted to me on my own. God's there with me every step of the way. 
He can look at it. He can look after it. He can guard it. He can watch over it. That's what the word protect means. It was a military term. It was used for those sentries that were on duty that had to be awake while everyone else slept. And it was basically, they had to have this unending vigilance. And, and Paul's saying, listen, when you and I have to sleep, God never sleeps. When you and I can't be there to protect, God is there to protect. God can do it. We just need to trust Him. And so these were the truths that Paul wanted to share with Timothy tonight to, again, inspire him about the God that is at the center of this gospel that Paul is about ready to die for and that you and I should be living for because he's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can call us with a holy calling. He's the only one that can break the power of death and bring the light life and immortality through his message. He's the only one who can protect what we have been entrusted with, that in a sense we give it back to Him to help us as we manage it on this earth. Which is why now let's switch to Paul. Paul's response to all of these truths about the God of the Gospel, he now informs Timothy of by starting out each of these phrases with the personal pronoun, I. And you'll notice then the first one in verse 11. For this gospel, Paul says, I was appointed. I had an assignment from God. God's assignment for me, Paul says to Timothy, was that I be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. But here's the point for us. Because of who God is, The fact that He saved us, but He also called us with a holy calling according to His own purpose that when God saved us and called us to Himself, He also had this purpose for us in mind while we were here on this earth. And He has an appointment for each of us. He has an assignment. He has a mission for each of us. And Paul says... I am carrying out my mission until the day I die. That's finishing well. In fact, listen to these words from chapter 4, where Paul says to Timothy, I am already being poured out as an offering, and the time for me to depart is at hand. I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who've set their affection on His appearing. Paul says, I had an appointment. And each of us, we have an appointment. We have some kind of part to play in the body of Christ, some assignment that God has for us that ties in with His purpose, not ours, His purpose and calling and salvation in our life. Are we carrying out that assignment and are we faithful in it? And will we be faithful in it to the very end and finish well? He goes on to say then in verse 12, because of this, in fact, I suffer as I do. That's the second thing. First thing, I was appointed. Second thing, I suffer as I do. Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, suffering for the Christian is not the exception, it's the norm. Let me repeat that. 
all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It is through much tribulation and trial that we enter the kingdom of God. Over and over and over and over again. The Bible's message is, when God called us to himself and still places us on this earth, this earth that is in darkness, this earth that lies in the power of the evil one, John says in 1 John. We're going to suffer. If we're going to follow through with our appointment and assignment and mission, we will suffer in some way. Whether it's through spiritual warfare that comes against us, that tries to discourage us and, and get us off track and distract us and oppose us and show resistance. Whether it's the world around us, this world system that is opposed to God and to the cause of Christ. Whatever it is, we will continually suffer. But notice... Because Paul knew that, going in, all the suffering that he went through wasn't like, well, is God mad at me? Am I doing something wrong like many Christians today? No, it's part of our calling. Did not Jesus even say, in the world you will have tribulation and suffering, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world? In the world, you will have tribulation and suffering. And so Paul's saying to Timothy here, I was appointed and I also suffer because of it. You've got to be willing to take your share and hang in there. The Christian life is not easy. It's hard. And for those that really want to be committed, it's really hard. That's why we've got to be strong. That's why at the Oasis, we do what we do. Because you can, you can go to other churches and whatever, but a lot of churches today are not equipping their people to handle life as it really is. And that's why so many Christians are struggling. And not finishing well. And not enduring and persevering because they don't have the inner strength that it takes from spiritual growth and maturity and being part of a body like ours to be able to... Because it's even hard for us. It was hard for Timothy, a man who was discipled by Paul himself, a man who was in the ministry. He was a pastor. And yet he was about ready to throw in the towel. I was telling Nicole tonight that her and I are in the, you know, in that weird 5%, if you want to call it that. I just read an article a couple days ago that um, worship leaders and pastors that stay longer than five years in one local church, 5%. 5%. That's a small percentage. So many people in ministry today, gone, don't hang in there. So it's, it's a reality, folks. And we've got to come to terms with the fact that if I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, 
I'm going to have to learn to be strong enough to handle the suffering. Because I'm going to be affected. We're all affected. We cannot go through this life unaffected. That's really what the word suffering in the original means. To be painfully affected by things. And whether it was Paul's thorn in his flesh, or whether it was, again, all this opposition and resistance demonically, or even from other people, he was always suffering. But he was always triumphing over the suffering. And victorious in the suffering. Because he never quit. He always, through the power of God, accepted his share of suffering for the gospel. Which is why then he says this. I've got to wrap this up. He says, I am not ashamed. There's the next phrase. I am not ashamed. Last week we saw where he told Timothy in verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, a prisoner for his sake. I'm not ashamed, Timothy. Paul is saying in these words, he's saying, I never regretted who I was. I never looked back at my life and thought, why did I align myself or identify myself with Jesus Christ? It would have been so much easier if I wouldn't have done that. Paul said, no. That's what it means to not be ashamed. Paul says, there was never a time, even in all this suffering that I'm going through, where I regretted becoming a Christian and following Christ with everything that I had. I'm not ashamed. I'm glad I aligned myself and identified myself with Christ. And whatever then comes because of it, I'm good. Because He saved me. And He called me with a holy calling. And He broke the power of death in my life. And He shone a light on what life and immortality was really like. And He's able to protect everything that I've entrusted to Him in this life. Why would I ever... Regret being a Christ follower. And here's why. I love this next phrase. Because I know the one. I know. Notice, he doesn't say because I know things. Because I know this or that. He says, because I know the one. I know through my Christian life, through becoming more intimately acquainted with God. I know Him in such a way that I'm good because I know Him through experience. That's what what Paul's saying here. He's really diving into what the Christian life is all about. It's getting to know God at such a level that no matter what happens to us in our life, we're good because we know the One. Not because everything's going well. Not because all my situations and circumstances work out. Not because I never feel pain or suffering or go through trial and tribulation. The reason that we are good is because we know the One in whom our lives rest. In whose hands we are in. The One who before time began looked ahead in time and said, I'll save you and call you. Paul said, when you get to know God the way I've gotten to know God, Timothy, you can be at rest no matter what's happening around or in your life. Because you're locked in God. A couple more things. Notice then in verse 12, 
Another phrase starting with the personal pronoun I. I am convinced. I have become fully persuaded. I'm confident. He lives his life with confidence and conviction because he has been fully persuaded because of his growing knowledge of God and who God is to him. And see, this really brings together the whole concepts of why worship and the Word must work together so that we take our worship and the Word to a deeper understanding and knowledge of God. Not about God, but knowing Him personally, not from second hand, not knowing God through somebody else, but you and I getting to know God ourselves at that level. Which is why I'll end with this. I love the way the Net Bible translates this. When Paul says in verse 12, I know the one in whom my faith is set. Now, other translations say, I know whom I have believed or I believe. But I think this is a better translation here. Because what Paul is saying is, because of my appointment, because I suffer, because I'm not ashamed, because I know the one and I've come to be convinced, my faith is set. What Paul's simply saying is, Timothy, I got to a place in my life that even as I face death, I was able to rest my entire being in God. I am secure. I am stable. I am settled because I'm just fully relying and depending and trusting in God. And because I know Him, I know He's got me. And I know he's got whatever life is going to bring. So my faith is set. Wow. Is your faith set? We all need to get to this place. Because this is the way you and I will endure and persevere. Is when we get to a place in our life where because we know the one, our faith becomes Settled, secure, and stable. Not in what's going on in our life, but in God. That's why I love what the psalmist says, that even if the mountains were thrown into the sea, and you know things were exploding all around me, and, and the world was literally falling apart, he says, I'm good because my refuge is in God. God's my refuge. I'm not going to worry about what all's going on around here. I know the one. My faith is set. I'll leave you with this. Here's what God gave me to illustrate this principle. Take a nail and use that nail as an illustration of your life and my life. And use a wooden board as an illustration of the person of God. And literally drive that nail that represents your life into that board. But that's not all. Once the nail is completely driven in and through the other side, then bend that nail to where, literally, there's no way that nail's going to move. Paul is saying, that's what it means to have your faith set in God. It means that you and I, at some point in our life, drove our life like a nail into the board of God's person, and then we turn that nail down, and it's not going to move. 
Everything else in my life can move. But me and God are locked in. I am literally firmly adhered to God. My faith is set. And Paul knew. Timothy needed to hear this. Because at this point in his life, his faith wasn't quite as settled, secure, and stable as Paul's was. So Paul is sharing these truths with him so that Timothy can continue to draw into God and know the one like Paul knew him to the point where he could go, you know what? You're right, God. You've got me and you've got this. So tonight, here's what encouragement I want to leave with you tonight. I don't know what in your life right now what you're dealing with, what situation or circumstance you're dealing with. But here's what God wants to say to you tonight. He wants you to rest in Him. He wants you to fully place all of yourself in Him and be settled. And drive the nail of your life into the board that is God and turn it down And firmly fix your life into Him. And know that whatever it is that you're going through right now, first of all, He's got you. And He will never let go of you. And He's got the situation too. He's got it. And He's got you. There's a lot to be thankful for. Let's pray. God, thank you for just being so amazing. God, you not only poured your very life out for us on the cross, but you continue to pour your life out for us every day. You are totally engaged with us. There's nothing that you and I that we go through as human beings that you're not absolutely and totally aware of. And you've always got a hold of us. You never let go of us. And no situation, no circumstance can ever come into our life, no matter what it is, that is bigger than what you can handle because you're able to protect what we've entrusted to you. So God, help us to remember to be encouraged by this truth from your word tonight. To know that whatever we deal with and whatever we're going through, maybe even right now in our lives, that you've got us and you've got this. Enable us, God. Give us the strength to drive the nail of our life into the board that is you and turn that nail down and firmly fix our life once and for all into you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. And don't forget, Sunday, we're going to have a great day. Hope you'll be able to be with us. Thanks for being here. See you next week.